This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this segment's about debt solutions for business owners. Um, and I, w- when I was preparing for this segment, Blair, reading through all the things to pay attention to, boy, oh boy, you really have to know what you're doing to be in business these days and just managing the regular stuff, let alone uh, getting yourself into a situation where there's a lot of debt involved and now you've got to take some action. Um, so before I go to you, I just want to say that this segment's about the common mistakes, and there's plenty of them, to avoid in dealing with business debt and where to get help in managing that debt. So, yeah, you, you, yeah, oh, I was just going to say, Elaine, you, you, yeah. Yeah, you really said, said it right. When it's so complicated to be self-employed, you know, there's no crash course that you have to take to become self-employed in Canada. There's nobody that sits you down and says, you know, here's the lay of the land. Here's where people get in trouble. Uh, my wife, one of her friends, was studying to become a realtor, and I looked at the textbook. It was about 700 pages long. There was not one page in there about make sure you pay your GST, make sure you pay your income mm. tax, your installments. And every realtor that I see, that's their issue, um, is that they were really good at the front end of the job of the selling but the administration side of it and with cra you know they they're nice people but they have requirements so um you know it's really it can be a case where people can be really good at their day job but it's not knowing all the requirements the intricacies of how things can work with business and with debt um, that can really trip people up and get them into trouble that's really interesting. Yeah, because it is complicated. I mean, just looking at being a realtor, uh, you know, the payoff is enormous, especially in the market that they may be in, mm-hmm. if it's the lower mainland or anywhere in British Columbia, at least the southern half of the province. Um, so can we talk about sort of the basics uh, when it comes to business debts? What are the things yeah. that we should know? Yeah, exactly. So let's start, you know, really at, at kind of nuts and bolts. The first thing when a business owner comes in and sits down with me is I'm trying to understand what's the structure of the business and where does the debt liability truly lie? And that can be different depending on how the business is set up. So in in Canada, there's three types of small business structures or three very common types of small business structures, and they each have advantages and disadvantages depending on the owner's goals and objectives. And typically, when you're setting up a business, this is the time to really invest, get your team, you know, figure out the accountant and the lawyer that's going to give you some good advice from the start, um, rather than just, you know, picking something and going with it and and like learning a, a little bit later that you've set up your business in the wrong manner. So the three ways to set up a business, first off, is a sole proprietorship. And this is definitely the most common way to go and it's the simplest way Uh, and what that means is essentially you the owner uh, and the business are the same entity there's no legal separation the assets and debts of your business are also your personal assets and your debts so you know a simple person operating say a fruit stand on the side of the highway they're typically set up as a sole proprietorship it's very simple Um, you can have bigger larger complex businesses as a sole proprietorship but it's definitely the simple way that most people default into first off 
Uh, a less common structure is a partnership, and that's where two or more people are combining resources in a business. They might establish some formal terms and become a partnership, which is not too difficult to get that underway, you know, sign a partnership agreement. But what's really important to know, and a lot of people don't realize this when they go into a partnership, is that each partner is personally responsible for the debts of the business, and they share in the liabilities of the actions of the other partners. So if you're in a partnership with somebody and suddenly they incur a whole lot of debt uh, into the business and they can't pay because you are a partner and because this happened as part of the partnership, you can find yourself liable to the extent of all of your assets to more than what you ever wanted to invest into the partnership. So most of the time, people that are are in partnerships, you know, they're very sophisticated. They know what they're doing. They've gotten good advice. Um, Folks that I see that have went into it without that, um, sometimes they have had some bad outcomes by not understanding, you know, the shared liability. But a partnership, definitely less common than a sole proprietorship. Uh, probably the, the one that's uh, most common, more so than a partnership, but less than a sole proprietorship, is an incorporated business. And this is what a lot of people think of when they say, I'm going to start my own business, is, you know, they decide it's going to be, pick a name of a company, XYZ Incorporated or XYZ Limited. And what that means is that it's a separate legal entity from the owner. It takes a little bit more time to establish, and it's a bit more costly than setting up your other structures like a proprietorship or a partnership partnership, but theoretically, this separation of being a separate legal person, that can reduce or eliminate some of the liabilities that you might have incurred um, as a sole proprietorship or a partnership. And we're going to go through those in a little bit more detail during the segment here. When I first looked at uh, joining up with somebody to do a, a, a business together, I, it was always about, well, setting up something that's going to shield us from liability mm-hmm. or one of us or both of us. And um, it's kind of interesting as we start in this next part of it is that there really isn't anything that shields you from complete personal liability or, or am I wrong about that? No, you're absolutely right. And that's a key misconception that people have. They think, you know, I've set up an incorporated business. That incorporated business is a separate legal entity to myself. Therefore, if that business gets into trouble, I'm going to be scot-free as the owner. There's nothing I need to worry about. And that's just not correct. There's a bunch of things that can happen. And that's what we're going to outline a little bit. But that idea of misunderstanding your personal liability, um, that can be a huge factor that, you know, can really surprise people, both positively and negatively. Sometimes they find they don't owe things they thought they did. But more often, people think that they were shielded, and it turns out they actually did have some personal liability. So a few of the areas where this can start to arise um, is in collecting and remitting GST. So if a business earns more than $30,000 of revenue in a year, uh, the person or the corporation or the partnership needs to register with CRA and obtain a GST number to file those returns and to make the remittances. There's only a few areas where that doesn't arise, so some, a few uh, distinct occupations, but for the most part, if you're over 30000 you need to be collecting GST. And if you've got an incorporated business, if that business owes GST, you as the director of that business owe GST. So it's not the case that stops at the business's door. And obviously with a partnership or a proprietorship, you owe that GST directly because the business isn't separate. Uh, That's one that we see a lot is unremitted GST. Hmm, That's interesting. Uh, And I just want to throw in at this point too, uh, Blair, so if there's someone who's listening to this segment and goes, oh boy, I was thinking about doing this or I've already done it and now I'm in trouble and there's debts and and I don't know what to do. If you've heard enough already and you know that you need to talk to somebody, I I can't encourage you enough to give Sands and Associates a call at 1-800-661-3030. 
So Blair, going back to the segment, what are some of the areas of personal liability? I guess they'd be almost like crossovers that you see uh, when you're talking to somebody who's owning a business. Mm-hmm. So definitely GST, that, that's a big warning sign. So as, as you mentioned, Elaine, if someone's listening and their business owes GST, it's definitely worth getting some advice and understanding, you know, this is personal debt and what can you do about it. Uh, another big category is payroll source deductions. So if you have employees, if you pay salaries, wages, or even if you give a taxable benefit to an employee, you must take source deductions from that amount, which you then need to report and remit to CRA. And what I mean by source deductions are CPP contributions, um, EI premium and federal and provincial income tax. So anyone that's working as an employee, when you look at your pay stub, you've got your gross amount, and then you've got all these nice deductions that come off, and then you get to your net. Um, your employer is responsible for making those deductions. And if the employer doesn't make those deductions, it's a personal liability to them, regardless of whether it's a corporation, a proprietorship, or a partnership. So alongside GST, payroll deductions are one of those debts. It's kind of the worst of the worst you can owe as a business because the way CRA looks at it is both with GST and with source deductions, CRA says, well, this was never your money, business owner. This was money you were paying to your employee and had to hold back for the government, or it was money you collected from your clients to, to pay the GST. So the government usually doesn't have a whole lot of patience. If you, if you put up a significant source deduction or GST debt, they might act very quickly against you, start to seize some assets, or take some very aggressive collection action. So uh, definitely, if you have those debts, it's worth reaching out for help. Yeah, absolutely. From personal experience, uh, many, many, many years ago, a company thought that they didn't have to be responsible and put the onus on the employees. And boy, were they wrong. And it really hit some employees hard because, of course, then they had to uh, cough up their share as well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not a good situation. What are some of the common mistakes that people should avoid when it comes to their business debts? Are there some common things that we can do or that somebody can do? Well, there's a bunch of things that you should try to avoid. And so kind of the inverse is what you should do. So the thing to avoid is avoid procrastinating, you know, thinking that the problem is going to solve itself, um, thinking that if I just ignore this, if I don't open the notices from CRA, they'll just go away. So the longer you wait, it's often the fewer options you end up having. And as a trustee, I know I can have a much better uh, job of negotiating with CRA to do a consumer proposal, uh, even for some of these, you know, really difficult business debts. If the person has acted early and they've been good, they've done all their returns up to date, that the person has stopped filing returns for a couple of years, hoping CRA won't catch up with them, it becomes that much more difficult to deal with the debt. So definitely not procrastinating is very important. Another one to really avoid, and this is so difficult, but you have to be careful if you're continuing to inject personal funds into your business. So, you know, a business is often, you know, it's like your baby, it's your child, you want to see it succeed, you just want to give it everything it could possibly need. And sometimes it's during some consultations where we sit down, we look at the numbers and we say, you know, outside of your personal contributions to the business, this hasn't been viable for, you know, three or four years. So you really need to have your eyes wide open that all you're doing is transferring your net worth into a business that's just not making you money. So be careful if the only way you're getting things paid is by continually injecting personal funds. Um, you know, the last one here is just if you're continually borrowing more money, so whether it's from you or from a bank, if you're having to inject funds continuously into the business, uh, that's usually a big indication that something is not going uh, the way that it should and you, you might be heading to, to a bad outcome. Got it. Now, I know that, that it's, uh, you know, 
You're from, you work at, at Sands and Associates. You're a key player within the organization. And obviously, uh, if somebody has had any of these situations or in any of these situations, you guys would be the best people to call if, if somebody's tr going to try to take on dealing with this debt and then dealing with uh, CRA and dealing with these other bodies because really you're it in terms of uh, the people who are able to do this work uh, mm -hmm. legally and been mandated by the federal government to talk to CRA to assist somebody. So tell us, tell us how you do that and, and what your process is. Mm -hmm. Well, Elaine, you, you said it very well there. If you find yourself in this situation, a lot of times people think it's hopeless, that there's nothing they can do. They think that they know that, hey, no one can ever reduce a government debt for G GST payroll or whatnot. A trustee can help you with those things. So uh, we do consultations every day with people that are self-employed, you know, basic proprietorships to partnerships to even corporations with, you know, numbers of employees. Uh, we'll still meet with the directors and, you know, outline all the options that they have. Uh, people are generally surprised to learn that there are things they can do if they act early if they work with a trustee with CRA but if you're trying to come at it yourself CRA might give you six months to pay off whatever the balance is and then they're going to start collecting very heavily so make sure you reach out you get a good consultation with a licensed insolvency trustee and figure out what you can do and and we know that you're not alone in this a, a lot mm -hmm. of people are struggling at all different levels and uh, it's just such a good action to take um, I also want to mention too though your website which is so good sans-trustee.com it's filled with good questions and answers for everybody whether it be personal uh, personal situation or company uh, situations and you need some more information but the best thing you, you you can do is give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 get that consultation set up find an office near you and of course you're doing everything virtually so uh, very very um, uh, open and and ready to help folks you're listening to dollars and cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates helping you get out of debt this segment is all about the top things, the top questions that debt experts answer. And this is part one of part two. And the other interesting part of this segment, it's all the things that the debt experts wish that we knew as consumers. Like I say, segment has two parts. So if you don't hear your question uh, in the first part, you'll probably hear it in the second, in the second part. So Blair, uh, you and your team talk with people every day who are looking for answers about managing personal debt. What are, or what's the most common or some of the most common questions that you get asked? Yeah, there are so many, Elaine, and that's what's so gratifying uh, being in the role that I'm in is just being able to give people good information that they're not always able to find from other sources that can help them to make better decisions for themselves, their financial future, and for their family. So one of the most important questions we get asked, and this is usually one where people have made an assumption, they think they know the answer, but just about every case where I've told someone, they'd be like, oh, my answer was the opposite. I'm happy you told me the truth. And that is, am I responsible for my spouse's debt? And we've all heard, you know, you marry someone, you marry their debt, married couples have to share all debts equally, uh, that is all completely false. So the short answer here is no, you are not personally responsible for repaying the debts of your spouse, partner, or any other family member just because you're related, married, because you're living together, or even if someone passes on. So I sometimes get calls uh, from worried children who have just suffered you know, the extreme loss of a parent, and they're worried, in addition to all of this grief, am I going to have to inherit their debt as well? And the answer is no. 
No, you do not inherit debt. You don't marry debt. Uh, it's a common misconception, again, that spouses become legally obligated to one's uh, to each other's creditors once they're married. Um, but the only way responsibility for spousal debt can be triggered is upon divorce or separation. There can be debts that's deemed family debt under the BC Family Law Act, but that's upon the dissolution of the relationship. So if people are married, the relationship is going well, one person has some debt and the other person uh, is not listed on that debt, there's nothing that makes the non debt owing per partner responsible for the other person's debt. Now, the way that can be frustrated or, or changed is if you do decide to get something together. So if you co-sign or you co-borrow on some accounts together, or maybe you just got married and you're meeting with the bank and they said, oh yeah, why don't we put both names on all these credit accounts just to make it more simple? Um, you'd really want to give that some serious thought because as soon as both of your names are on the account, well, of course, at that point, it's a joint debt and you're both responsible. But if it is the case that each partner has brought in different debts to the relationship they remain their separate debts and even during the relationship if one partner gets a credit card it's in their own name and they have a debt that they're not able to, to pay the other spouse partner family member or whatever can never be held responsible for that balance so it's so important to be aware of what you owe and what you don't owe and it's also doubly important if you are someone that has co-signed a debt for somebody else you know in general if you're contemplating co-signing we say it's almost never a good idea so please definitely think twice and be aware that if you do co-sign a debt it's a joint and several responsibility which means it's not a 50 50 split if it's a thousand dollars the person doesn't pay you're on the hook for 500 no you're on the hook for the full amount of the debt and that can hurt your credit report if the person doesn't pay sometimes there's even acceleration clauses in certain debts that if the person the original debtor has missed a few payments it's not the case the co-signer will just take over those payments and keep the same terms that whole debt might become due and payable. So definitely think long and hard before you co-sign, but you should feel some relief if you're worried that you're marrying someone's debt or have done so, or you'll be held on the, on the account for a family member's debt. That just can't happen, doesn't happen, will not happen. So interesting, because co-signing is such a, a gift for people, right? Like it's a show of support often. I will help you do this. They're, you know, working their way out of something or into something great, uh, and it can just go so badly so quickly, and it's just so unfortunate that it's sort of structured this way at least that's my that's my thoughts about it yeah sometimes no good deed goes unrewarded you think oh. you're doing a good deed by co-signing but i've just seen so many times where it comes back to bite and then you know it aside from all the financial you've now got an emotional dimension to this debt where it's something to owe you know bank of montreal or whoever some money they're a faithful faceless corporation you owe your mom or your dad brother sister someone that you know needs that money that's a challenge and that's an extra level of emotion that you just don't need to do that with your money Exactly. I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. What about um, old unpaid debts? Do they ever expire, Blair? Well, that's an interesting one, Elaine, because the answer is yes and no. So do debts ever expire? Well, theoretically, no. But there is a period of time, a statute of limitations, where essentially any power that a creditor is going to have against you, um, there is a bit of a ticking time clock there that if they don't take action against you within a certain period of time, um, they lose the right to ever take that action. So what happens in BC is there's an act called the BC Limitation Act, and it limits the length of time a creditor has to sue you for a debt owing. Now, if you owe somebody money, they can call you, they can harass you, threaten to take you to court, so on and so forth. But until 
until they've actually sued you and taken you to court, they can't start to seize anything from you. So what the Limitations Act says, well, they can't threaten you with court for the next 10 or 20 years and you live under this sort of Damocles for the rest of your life. No, what they have to do is within the next two years, and it's two years from the date that you incurred the debt or the date you last made a payment on the debt or the date you last gave a written acknowledgement that you know you owe this money and an email would count, that starts a two-year clock running. And in many, many cases, creditors are going to threaten all that time. They're going to take legal action against you. But in many cases, that two-year clock will expire and then they lose the right to ever sue you for the debt. So a couple of caveats here. So, you know, first off, if you're someone that never needs credit again in the future, well, this might be an okay scenario because what's going to happen is that even though they can't sue you, you can bet they're still going to try to collect. They're going to put negative stories on your credit, you know, for as long as they, they possibly can just to have some impact against you. Um, the other big caveat is this does not work at all for any debt owing to a government body. So there's not a statute of limitations on your student loan, not for ICBC debt and not for income tax taxes or anything like that. Those can all be dealt with with a licensed insolvency trustee, but you can't just wait out the government. Um, they can wait longer than you and they wrote the laws themselves. So definitely uh, they're able to keep themselves outside of that. So it's important to know, again, you can restructure government debt, but if you're looking to just, you know, wait out the limitations period, it's two years for general unsecured consumer debts. Okay. We're going to talk about bankruptcy next, but I just want to throw in the phone number for Sands and Associates. They have offices all over British Columbia now. The number to get a hold of one of those offices is 1-800-661-3030. Also, check out their website. If you're thinking you've got a question that hasn't been answered yet, remember this is a two-part series or two-part uh, section that we're talking about here, uh, check out the website, sands-trustee.com. So with bankruptcy, Blair, can you talk about some of the, the frequently asked questions about bankruptcy that folks have? Yeah, certainly. And in a nutshell, you know, bankruptcy is not as bad as people think. I've rarely had somebody in my office who didn't have some, you know, in, incredibly in, inflated idea of how terrible a bankruptcy process was going to be. And, you know, not sugarcoating it. It's a serious legal proceeding, uh, but it's not near as bad as most people think. So let, let's go through some of the, the basic questions here. So we're often asked, you know, what debts will bankruptcy cover? And I sometimes have people in my office tell me about everything. It's just as they're reaching for the door on the way out. They're like, oh, and I also have this government debt, but I I know you guys can't help with that. So both bankruptcy and consumer proposals can cover almost everything. So from credit cards to outstanding income tax, student loans, serve overpayments, GST debt, you know, just about any debt that you can incur, you have the ability um, to restructure by working with a trustee. It's a very short list of debts that you couldn't compromise. And they're the typical debts that you would, ne would not necessarily want to. Things like child support, alimony, spousal support, those types of things couldn't be reduced. But a lot of the times if we're able to help somebody reduce all of the other debts, they're just in that much better of a position to meet their family support obligations as well. So that, that's a big first question. You know, another question is based on an assumption is people think, well, if you go into bankruptcy, you lose everything. And, you know, how does that work? So people ask, will I be allowed to keep some assets if I declare bankruptcy? And the answer is absolutely. Most people actually keep all of their assets and they're in a better position to retain their assets in bankruptcy because they have the protection of they're no longer able to be sued and have things taken from them. So what happens in the province of BC and in every province across Canada, the government has set out a base level of exemptions and 
and said, if someone goes into bankruptcy, the whole point is financial rehabilitation, and they're going to need some base level of assets to reestablish themselves to move forward. You would never take you know, the workman's tools away if you expect them to earn income in the future. So there's a wide list of exemptions, household furniture, a vehicle, even a certain amount of home equity, all of your RRSPs, all of your pension funds. Nobody loses any of those things if they file a bankruptcy. So you definitely want to check any of your assumptions with a trustee if you're worried about getting help for your debt because you'd have to surrender some assets. You know, certainly there are some assets that could be surrendered. You know, if you've got a bunch of Bitcoin that well exceeds the amount of your debt and maybe six months ago it was worth a whole lot more, I'm going to be telling you to liquidate that Bitcoin. But for the most part, uh, people who come to us don't have a whole lot of free and clear assets and what they do have are considered completely exempt assets. And what is, how much does it cost to declare bankruptcy? That's another question, too. A lot of people think, you know, the government pays or bankruptcy is a free service. It costs some money. So the person who's filing bankruptcy, they no longer make any payments to their creditors. And the cost of bankruptcy is dependent on their monthly income. The vast majority of people who file bankruptcy are considered low income. And the cost of a low income bankruptcy over a nine month period is $2,300. So most people make monthly payments over the nine months, you know, in and around between two and three hundred dollars per month. And the trustee handles the entire administration. The bankruptcy helps them discharge all of the debts. And quite often, folks have been paying so much on minimum payments for so long that the bankruptcy payment is significantly below what they've been struggling to do for a long time. Sure. And as we close out this part, part one of this, uh, is there anything else you wish people either knew or were better understood? when it comes to the debt. Yeah, the, the number one thing, Elaine, is the whole idea of your credit rating and the impact and the idea that this is going to be permanent. It is not a permanent stain on your credit to declare bankruptcy. Bankruptcy drops off your credit six years from the day you finish it, and the vast majority of bankruptcies are done in nine months. So as soon as nine months from the day that you sign the documents with the trustee, uh, the clock starts ticking. And during that six years when a bankruptcy is on your record, you can start to rebuild your credit, incur new credit, put a lot of positive stories on on that report and we've seen people as little as two to three years after bankruptcy get credit cards at no prefer sorry no enhanced rates you know at the, at the best rates that other customers would get be qualified for mortgages for car loans it's as little as a two to three year horizon which is often a whole lot faster than if you hunkered down tried to pay everything off in full to preserve that perfect credit rating taking the short-term hit in the bankruptcy and rebuilding after can be just a wonderful strategy for a lot of folks to get things back on track that's great. I want to mention the phone number for Sands and Associates offices all over British Columbia. It's a 1-800 number, 1-800-661-3030. I want to also include the website. If you haven't had a chance to take a look at that and you've still got more questions and you're not quite ready to make the phone call, go to the website, sands-trustee.com. And you can also uh, facilitate making an appointment through the website as well. It's, it's a terrific one. It's just filled with good questions and really understandable answers. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. This is part two of our series on top frequently asked questions that debt experts answer and what they wish that we, that we would know already before we come to them. So, Blair, can you start by sharing another one of the most common questions that you and your team at Sands & Associates hear from folks who are looking for answers on how they can better manage their personal debt? 
Sure. One question that we get a lot is what can I do to deal with my debt without impacting my credit score, my credit history, my credit report? And I can understand what's behind this question. But the challenge is there's really not much any time or any debt strategy that you're going to employ. If you're not going to be able to pay everything back on time, over time with interest, it can have a, a negative impact on your credit. Now, even if you're making all the minimum monthly payments on your credit card account, they'll be kept up to date, but it's going to take you a long time to clear that debt. And even depending on your balance, if it ends up being a pretty high balance, your credit score might get hit just because you're utilizing way too much of your credit balance for way too long. Uh, if you decide to apply for a consolidation loan, every time you apply for new financing, that credit check is what's considered a hard hit or a hard check on your credit, and that's going to lower your score as well. Um, if you choose to restructure your debts by either a consumer proposal um, or a personal bankruptcy, that's going to have a negative impact on your credit for a period of time. Uh, but the thing to keep in mind here is all of these things are temporary. And, you know, the first strategy I talked about, if you just make all the minimum payments, you know, yeah, that could that could ding your credit, maybe the least severe of any, but that could be 10, 20, 40 years of minimum payments, huge amounts paid to interest. And I don't know any financial professional that would say a good credit rating is worth sacrificing decades of your financial future just to, you know, keep all these minimum payments made. So in the short term, if you need to restructure your debt, you have to accept that there will be some negative impacts to your credit report, but it's nothing that you can't recover from probably quicker than you think. And most people even coming out of a bankruptcy are so much better credit risks than they were before because they have no debt. They're going to take everything pretty seriously going forward, having just come through a legal proceeding. Um, so it is the case you will recover very quickly if you do have to restructure your debts. Okay. Now, can we skip ahead to the question about What's the thing that uh, most licensed insolvency trustees wish that we knew or better understood when it comes to death? Yeah, there's two things. You know, number one is the whole idea of minimum payments. We've all been lulled into this sense of security and your credit rating will validate this, that if you just make the minimum payments, you're doing A-OK -okay and nothing else you need to do. And from the bank's perspective, that's absolutely true. From the consumer's perspective, it is insane how long you will be kept in debt if all you're able to make are the minimum payments on a credit card account. So even a $2,000 balance, which, you know, not many people phone us saying they only owe $2,000, but... Even a $2,000 balance at a typical 18% interest rate could take you 13 years and 10 months to become debt-free, and you will have paid in interest about as much as you originally charged on that card, and the numbers get even more scary as you go up higher. You know, $6,000 can be 40 years of payments. Uh, you know, no one would say that $6,000 is a lifetime of overspending, but it can be a lifetime of repayment if all you're doing is making minimum payments. So I think if people take nothing else away, please understand the minimum payment, not designed to get you out of debt, designed to keep you in debt as long as possible and maximize the amount of interest charges that you're going to make. And what do you get out of it? Well, you get a credit rating that's that's not terrible, but you don't have any chance to save money or actually move forward financially. So that one's huge to me. Uh, the second thing most trustees wish people knew more about, and this is you know the joy of, of my life professionally here, is just making people aware of consumer proposals. So the most powerful debt strategy you might never have heard of, and of course, if you listen to this show, you know 
know it inside and out. But if you're just hearing it for the first time, a lot of people come into our offices thinking that bankruptcy is their only option. They're rather despondent about that. Upwards of 85% of people at our firm and across the province of BC choose to avoid bankruptcy by making a settlement offer through a consumer proposal. And how this works is you consolidate all of your debt together, all the interest gets put to zero and a trustee is working with you every step of the way to help you do all of this. And then what you have to pay back is just what you can afford to pay back. It's typically much less than the full amount and it's always with zero interest anyway. But you know, a real consumer pr proposal that we filed recently, someone came into us owing more than $42,000 of debt. They were struggling to make the minimum payments, which were upwards of $1,200 per month. The vast majority of that go into interest and being owed again the next month. We made a consumer proposal that could take them from $42,000 of debt down to $18,600. So less than half. And what's the real killer here um, is that their monthly payment, it was upwards of $1,200. It's now $310 per month. And by law, a consumer proposal can only extend to five years maximum. You can pay it off sooner if you're able to, but five years is the longest you'll be paying off a proposal. That $1,200 per month, that could have been decades for this person to actually pay down that debt. So, you know, what a life-changing thing to do in a consumer proposal. And I'm convinced if more people knew about that remedy, fewer people would be suffering under their debt burden than they are right now. Absolutely. And I want to throw in the phone number right now. Sands and Associates has offices all over British Columbia. And the phone number to use to get into one of their offices or have a Zoom with somebody to see what your situation is and see if they can be of help is 1-800-661-3030. Also, you can use their website at sands-trustee.com. So let's stay with consumer proposals uh, till the end of this segment, Blair. Can you talk about some of the questions that people ask about the consumer proposal uh, if they're just hearing about it for the first time? What are the things they're most concerned about? Yeah, let's give some really useful facts as quick as we can here in the time. So what debts can you consolidate in a consumer proposal? Well, virtually everything. So virtually all of your consumer debts, credit cards, payday loans, overdraft, government debts like student loans, tax debt, and serve overpayments, just about every debt that you have can be included in a consumer proposal. It's the same eligibility as if you had filed a personal bankruptcy. And most people understand a personal bankruptcy, that's the idea. You get a fresh start and everything gets left behind. Um, same with the proposal, you get that fresh start. What's important to know is that you're not forced to automatically give up a house or a car or some other financing you might want to continue with. If you want to keep those assets, whether it's the house or car or whatnot, you can continue to make those payments during a consumer proposal. So it's not the case you have to surrender your assets, give up your house, car, or anything like that. A proposal is in lieu of you essentially throwing your hands up and saying, okay, everybody take what you can. It's you making your own repayment plan with the help of a trustee. Uh, another question we're asked is how much debt can I cut with a consumer proposal? And of course, every situation is a little bit different, but it's quite often it's more than half and it can be as much as 80, even 90% of the total debt outstanding. So it depends on the total amount of debt that's out there and what creditors will accept. But quite often a proposal in the range of 30 cents on the dollar, you know, we do a bunch of them every week and 95% of the time they're accepted on the first offer. 99% of the time, if we negotiate, we still reach a deal. So it's not a 
slam dunk in every case, but the reason why proposals are almost always accepted is when a proposal is made through a trustee, the creditors see a sheet of paper with two columns. One column shows a hypothetical bankruptcy, and often that's a zero recovery to the creditors. The other column shows here's a proposal. The person wants to work with you. Here's the win-win. And if that's 20 or 30 cents in the dollar, in almost every case, creditors would rather to get something back, even if it's just 20 or 30 cents, rather than being forced to accept nothing back if the person were to file for bankruptcy. Uh, the last point that we're asked often is, well, can I just do this myself? You know, can I just phone the creditors and work out this interest-free arrangement? And is that a consumer proposal? Uh, the short answer and the accurate answer is no, you cannot do a consumer proposal yourself. Only a licensed insolvency trustee can do so. Uh, I definitely encourage people, if you'd like to negotiate individually with your creditors, you know, please go ahead. But I've never seen a bank on in Canada here agree to freeze all of your interest, give you five years and pay them back 30 cents on the dollar. They want that to come through a trustee so that they know everything has been validated and this is possibly the best that they're going to do. Yeah, there's a reason. There's a reason why you went to school for all those years, Blair. <laughs> or That's that right. they found <laughs> licensed insolvency trustees across the country have done all this education. They're the ones that are going to facilitate this uh, for you. If you want to set up an appointment, 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. Uh, Sands and Associates has offices all over the province. And if you want to check to their website, sands-trustee.com, you're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about consumer proposals, and I just want to throw in this little fact that this is one of the most favorite things that Blair Manton loves to talk about. It's one of the reasons why he became a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, so you're going to hear it from somebody who's passionate about it, who cares about the process, and as a result ends up caring about you if this is a, a path that you choose. So let's talk, Blair, what, what a consumer proposal is for someone who might not know, how it can help the person become debt-free faster, and what to expect after the, per, the process is all complete. So let's start with the thing that you love to talk about is, is what's a consumer proposal, Blair, and uh, who might benefit from using one? Oh, and, and thank you for the, the great introduction, Elena. I'm just smiling here because it's, it's all true. You know, my life is different because I know about a consumer proposal. I was on a certain career path. And as soon as I found out about this incredible legal remedy that people don't know about, and had someone in my personal life that really could have been helped, and I wasn't able to give them that assistance because I just wasn't aware. Uh, from that point, I started to go deeper, started to research this, became a trustee. Um, you know, now I'm president of Sands and Associates, so there's nothing else I would rather do in this world than help people go on the same journey I was on to discover this legal remedy and try to help them apply it either to their life or to someone uh, in their life who might be suffering with debt um, because there's no shortage of that. There's a lot of folks at some point in their life that would really benefit from at least knowing that there's help out there or perhaps even putting into place a consumer proposal if their circumstances dictate. So what is a consumer proposal? Well, a consumer proposal is a means of consolidating all of your debt together without having to borrow anything. So you don't need a credit rating to qualify, putting all your debt into a single payment 
freezing all the interest down to zero and then reducing that debt down to what you can actually afford to repay. It's often in the range of 20 to 40 or 50 cents on the dollar. Every situation is different, but in most consumer proposals, there's a significant reduction against what the person is being asked to pay. And in a consumer proposal, it's a monthly payment that you would make over a term of up to five years, but no longer. So a consumer proposal gives you a clear timeline on when you're going to get this debt problem off your back. Um, you have a clear idea of when it can all be complete and you're protected every step of the way. The same legal proceeding as if you legal protection as if you had filed for bankruptcy, but it's not the same as a bankruptcy, doesn't report the same, and it allows you to avoid that proceeding altogether. You know, just by means of an example, there's a real consumer proposal we recently filed. Uh, someone had debts of $40,000. Um, they came in, we looked at a situation that they filed for bankruptcy, their creditors would get very little recovery on that debt. So we said, okay, let's offer a consumer proposal for around 30% of the debt, in this case, 12600 so that person is going to pay $350 a month over 36 months. So if you can imagine $40,000, the person would not have considered they could be debt free in three years and certainly not at paying just $350 a month. Their minimum payments, I believe, were north of $800 to $1,000 a month. And most of that was going to interest. So it completely changes um, your relationship with your debt because it's no longer a moving target. It's now something where you're just paying down a reduced balance. It stops again all the future interest. Uh, it reduces the debt to what you can afford and it keeps your, your assets safe from any creditor actions. So if you're worried you're going to get behind on payments and someone's going to sue you, start taking your wages or start seizing your assets, if you filed a consumer proposal, none of those actions can happen. And if they're happening now, everything has to stop. All the collection calls, any legal threats, everything goes to pause once you're under the protection of a consumer proposal. Excellent. So um, do you want to talk about the key steps to doing a proposal and then completing the process? Yeah, that would be great. So in terms of how you can get a proposal going, um, so you need to reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee. So only an LIT can help you with a consumer proposal. And it's always a free confidential consultation at Sands and Associates to help explore that option. Once you've had a consultation, we'll review the financial information, prepare your consumer proposal documents. And all this can happen in the matter of a few days if we need to get your protection quickly, or it can be as slow as you feel comfortable to move forward on. But once that proposal is filed with the government, your protection is immediate. So any creditors that are calling, you have to stop. Any legal action has to come to a close. And what happens over the next 45 days um, is your creditors have to vote on that proposal. So there's a chance they might say no to your proposal. And when I first looked into consumer proposal, I thought, well, this must be just a long shot Hail Mary pass. Creditors must never accept, you know, 20 or 30 cents in the dollar. And as I started to look into it, especially at my firm now, I could say, well, how's 99% of the time? acceptance rate. It actually blows my mind how many times a proposal can get accepted just about every case. And it makes sense because when we do a proposal, we have to show the creditors this is their best possible recovery. And if the person were to file for bankruptcy, and by the way, they're already in my office, we could do that tomorrow. But if the person were to file for bankruptcy, they would do worse overall, the creditor, because they would get less money back. So from our experience, 95% of the time when we make a proposal, it's accepted as is. 
And if we have to do some negotiations over that 45 day period, we still reach a deal in 99% of the time. So very high success rate. Um, after those 45 day approval period has passed, the proposal is then legally binding and you just continue to start to make those monthly payments. So if it was $300 a month, we thought you could afford, that's all that you pay. And you know, again, I almost sound like an infomercial guy, but wait, there's more um, in terms <laughs> of the costs. It's all included. So a lot of the times I'll sit down with someone, they'll say, okay, you got my debts down to $300 a month and that's great, but they're looking for the catch. What's the other shoe to drop? What's your fee, Mr. Trustee? It's got to be a lot if you're doing this much for me. And I love having those discussions because essentially I can say your proposal is going to cost what you can afford and any trustee fees, they're all set by government and they're actually paid by your creditors. So if you're going to offer back $300 per month, you don't pay any additional fees on top of that. Your creditors through a government tariff have to allow the trustee to retain roughly 20% of what your payment is. So on $300, maybe $60 would go to the trustee and the creditor would get $240. But that's all behind the scenes. You're paying what you can afford to repay. The cost of that proceeding is being borne by your creditors. So I'm always happy to have that discussion because this is really, there shouldn't be a barrier to someone trying a proposal. You don't need to pay anything upfront. You just need to be able to start making those monthly payments once the proposal is signed. And that's all worked out as you as you begin the process. So you know exactly what you're going to be paying when you're when you're going in. The other piece of this thing, and, and I know that you've talked about this before, is about the financial counseling sessions that you get as a result of, of being in this process. So in the hopes that you don't ever get in this situation again. Yeah, that's exactly true, Elaine. That's a core part of the proposal. And sometimes it's funny what, what people really find the value. So reducing the debt is one thing, but I have more calls of people saying, you know, years later, hey, the counseling really helped me out. It put me on this path. You know, I have people that have started businesses because of some of the good insights they got in the counseling or know how to rebuild their credit, set up better household budgets. So at least two times you're going to meet one-on-one -on -one with a qualified financial counselor. And that's a core obligation of the proposal. You have to make the payments, but you also have to have those two counseling opportunities, which again, people get huge value from. Huge value. I can't imagine, especially if, if you've never had that kind of counseling before. It's a, it's a big bonus. So once your final payment is made, what happens then, Blair? Well, we issue you what's called a certificate of full performance on the proposal. It says you've done everything you need to do. You've done the counseling and you've done the payments. All of your debts are legally discharged. And then you set forth to start to move forward with good financial habits. And we tell you what to do to rebuild your credit. What happens with the proposal? It drops off the sooner of six years from the day you sign it. So if it's a five-year proposal, just a year after your last payment, it's gone off your record like it never happened. And we tell you during the proposal, here's how you can start off to rebuild credit, probably with a secured credit card, maybe RRSP loans around tax time, things like that. And then after the proposal, you just continue with that behavior and you'll be surprised how quickly your credit will recover as long as you take the right steps. So if you already know that this is something you want to pursue further, the phone number to get a hold of Sands & Associates all over British Columbia now is 1-800-661-3030. Check out their website as well at sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.